Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Hello and welcome to episode 356 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you so much for joining me today for this episode from Wales, which explores some familiar themes of perception and reality, along with the impact of social media. A huge thank you to Megan Grant for the research and writing of this episode. I just want to make you aware that I'm running a new competition for my supporters at Patreon over the next four weeks, where I'll be giving away at least six true crime books every week, along with signed copies of my book about serial killer Angus Sinclair. So to join these competitions, just head to patreon.com slash UK True Crime to join us. Okay, so before we begin today, let's set some context for the story with our guest the month and year game. At number two in the UK charts was Bruno Mars with Just The Way You Are. In the US, at number four was Teenage Dream from Katy Perry. Did I mention that one of my cats is called Katy Perry? It's a boy, by the way. We only realised after she'd been named. The same as another of our cats, Joni. In Australia, Rihanna, with Only Girl in the World, topped the charts there. In the news this month, Instagram was launched. Ed Miliband attended his first Prime Minister's questions as leader of the opposition. The 19th Commonwealth Games opened in Delhi. And English comedian Norman Wisdom died at 95. In true crime news, US planes which had received cargo in transit from Yemen to the US were searched after authorities received a tip from Saudi Arabian intelligence officials regarding a terrorist plot to send explosives via air cargo packages to the US. Two planes were searched and had explosives on board, one UPS plane in East Midlands Airport in the UK and a FedEx plane in Dubai. If you recall, after searching the two planes, the authorities found the sophisticated bombs in both that were connected to electric circuits and telephones with timed alarms that were meant to detonate the explosives either over or on US soil. So did you get the month and year? It was October 2010. Today's story begins in Maesteg, a town in South Wales with a population of around 20,000 people. And it's about 30 miles northwest of Cardiff and 15 miles east of Swansea. You want mega celebs from the area? Well, I bring you weather girl, Sean Lloyd. Now don't say that I never deliver. 15-year-old Rebecca Aylwood was one of three children to Sonia and John Aylwood, who lived in Meisteg. Until the age of five, she wanted to be a nurse, but growing up, Rebecca had ambitions to become a lawyer and from the age of eight she was reading law books. A very scholarly pupil, Rebecca wasn't interested in going out and playing with her friends, but she preferred to stay home reading books and studying. When she was 11, she went to secondary school in Tondu, which is about six miles from her home, and this is where she met Joshua Davis, a fellow pupil. The pair quickly hit it off and they became firm friends. 
Joshua lived just a few miles away with his dad Stephen, who worked as a mechanic, and his mum Haley, who worked in a local shop. Both sets of parents were really happy that Joshua and Rebecca became friends, and it was clear why, as Joshua too was very academic and he worked super hard. He got the results too, and he was top of the class with his new friend Rebecca. But Joshua wasn't quite as straightforward as he seemed. Like us all, I guess. But Joshua certainly had a dark side to him, which was first seen properly by Rebecca on one day in 2007. Rebecca came home from school really upset and she told her mum, It's Josh, he's dying. They've given him until June the 2nd. Sonia did all she could to comfort her distressed daughter and told her there must be some mistake and what she was saying couldn't be true as no doctor could predict the exact day that someone would die after all. And it turned out this was all just fantasy from Joshua. It was totally made up. And although Rebecca's parents could never quite get to the bottom of why he'd made up something quite so serious, they suspected that it was maybe to get Rebecca to feel sorry for him and to go out with him. And if that was indeed Joshua's intention, it worked really well. And in April 2008, he had his first official date with Rebecca. Rebecca's mum, Sonia, described the moment she was introduced to Joshua. He came to the house and we took to him straight away. At first he was a bit shy, but then he became very chatty. She went on to describe the early days of their romance, saying, they go for a walk in the park or watch a video, and sometimes he'd stay over with us. We'd get him pizza, and all the children would sleep downstairs, like camping indoors. It was around this time that Rebecca's parents separated. Throughout this upsetting period, Rebecca really valued having Joshua around to talk to and to provide the emotional support needed during a very confusing time, and Joshua and Rebecca grew noticeably closer. And Joshua spent more and more time at the house where he was always charming, attentive and polite. However, there was one occasion when Sonia saw a very different side to Joshua and she was shocked to hear him being racist. All racism is of course shocking to us, but Joshua was extremely open with his, well, just abhorrent views. Sonia said, he started talking about how much he hated black people. We were living in Meistek and he said he'd heard there was a man there who was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Joshua went on to ask whether Sonia or Rebecca knew of this man. And Joshua said that he wanted to join him. A racist tirade followed with Joshua using racial slurs and horrifyingly even talking about lynching. This terrified Rebecca's sister, Jessica, who said, Josh, don't talk like that. What do you mean? We would never do anything like that. And over time, Joshua displayed other concerning behaviours. On one occasion, Jessica went along with the couple to Joshua's home, where she saw his selection of weapons. She said, We went up to his room and swords and knives were hanging on the walls. I was shocked and really surprised that his parents would allow it. Another time, Joshua showed Jessica some unusual drawings. She said, In one there was a skull and in another there was a dragon, which had this evil look that was quite disturbing. I was taken aback. 
they were not at all the sort of thing you'd expect someone of his age to paint. And around this period, Joshua became obsessed with horror films and he frequently spoke about death. Jessica detailed another bizarre incident she witnessed. He showed me a carving of a deer foot he was holding in his hand. Suddenly, he turned it around and attached to it was a blade that he'd somehow concealed and he pressed it onto me. Joshua's disturbing behaviour was also apparent at school, with other pupils becoming increasingly wary of him, and on at least one occasion he pretended to strangle a classmate. The issue today is that we are listening to a true crime podcast, and so we know that this isn't going to end well, don't we? But is it so different to what many other teenagers go through? Being influenced by people, I suppose, like Andrew Tate to hold shocking views, and also being obsessed by death and horror films. What do you think? It's not so unusual, is it? After two years of Joshua and Rebecca dating, Joshua, out of the blue, ended their relationship, leaving Rebecca utterly devastated. But it got worse as Joshua really turned on someone he'd been so close to, and he began what I suppose we would call a hate campaign towards her, by spreading nasty rumours at scorn on social media. Joshua would read the contents of Rebecca's diary and would use those contents to spread further rumours. One of the rumours soon after the relationship had ended was that Rebecca was pregnant. Her best friend told how with this rumour she saw a really controlling side to Joshua. She said the following, When he told people that she was pregnant, he then took her aside and said, You're going to say you are, when she wasn't. I always thought it was about control. Joshua soon began dating someone new, which naturally upset Rebecca, as despite his strange behaviour, she still had strong feelings for him. But as time went by, everything began to settle down, and by the summer of 2010, Rebecca had begun dating a new boy, and she seemed happy with how things were. But this new relationship stirred up jealousy within Joshua. He started pursuing Rebecca again. And this was not some beautiful attempt to woo his former girlfriend. His behaviour became much more sinister. During one instance at school, Rebecca was disturbed, really disturbed by Joshua, who was staring at her in a very hostile manner and had asked a friend to secretly photograph him with her phone. Rebecca didn't want anything more to do with Joshua but he persistently went on and on and demanded that Rebecca break up with her new boyfriend. By October, they were astonishingly talking about getting back together again. And while all this was happening, unbeknown to Rebecca and her family, in the weeks and months leading up to October 2010, Joshua had actually been planning a way to kill his ex-girlfriend. Joshua was becoming increasingly active on social media, And alongside his friends, as we have heard so often on this show, Joshua created his own fantasy world. You know what it's like. Online, you can be whoever you want to be. On his Bebo page, remember that? Joshua described himself as a psycho. Behind the text talk and emojis, hid Joshua's disturbing intentions. His friends thought he was just messing about. And using social media sites such as Facebook, MSN Messenger and Bebo, Joshua talked openly about his intentions to kill Rebecca. 
he'd even researched several methods of murder. The first method was to invite her for a walk by the lake, where he would push her in, knowing that Rebecca could not swim. Whilst trying to save her, he would make sure she drowned. Another plan involved poisoning by using foxglove and deadly nightshade. And did Joshua actually put this poisoning fantasy into action at this time? Because around this period, it was feared that Rebecca may have been poisoned as she was hospitalised for a mysterious stomach complaint, and the exact cause of this stomach issue was never found. Was this down to Joshua? In response to Joshua's online threats towards Rebecca, his friends would egg him on, unaware that he was serious about committing murder. In one chilling exchange of messages, Joshua asked his friend, what would you do if I actually did kill her? The friend replied, oh, I would buy you breakfast. Joshua responded with, don't say anything, but you may just owe me a breakfast, to which his friend responded, best text I've ever had, mate. Seriously, if it's true, I'm happy to pay for breakfast. I want all the details, you sadistic bastard. A smiley face emoji ended the text. I think if pressed, some people still call this sort of talk banter. As school was breaking up on Thursday the 21st of October 2010, Joshua told Rebecca that he wanted to see her on Saturday. And when the 23rd of October came around, Rebecca woke up beaming with excitement, hoping she was about to get back together with Joshua. He certainly seemed to have some attraction to Rebecca that was hard for others to see. She spent hours getting herself ready to meet her ex-boyfriend and she'd even bought a new outfit for the occasion. She gave her mum a kiss and a hug and said, Bye ma'am, I love you. Rebecca's aunt had dropped her off at the nearby village of San, where Joshua had asked to meet her. And while walking to the rendezvous, Rebecca received a call from Joshua altering their plans. He redirected her to a local park so Rebecca called her mum, told her of the change of plans and phoned her again when Joshua arrived. She said, everything's alright, Josh's mum will bring us back and I'll see you in a bit. Those words were the last that Sonia would ever hear her daughter speak. Sometime after this call, Joshua took Rebecca into a secluded part of the woodland where he bludgeoned her to death with a rock. Following the murder, Joshua posted on Facebook, Good day, my friends, and a lovely breakfast. This post was ended again with a smiley face emoji. Joshua had planned an alibi and used social media to leave messages such as how he was going to watch Strictly Come Dancing and the film No Country for Old Men that evening. Sometime after the murder, a friend messaged Joshua and asked if he was with Rebecca, to which Joshua responded, asking him to define exactly what he meant by with. Joshua openly bragged about the murder to a friend and said, Do you know how hard it is to break someone's neck? She was facing away from me and I thought, This is it, I'm going to go for it. I tried to break her neck. She was screaming, so I picked up the rock and started to hit her with it. The worst part was feeling and seeing her skull give way. He even took this friend to the murder scene. Meanwhile, Sonia became anxious when her daughter failed to get in contact later in the day. 
it was certainly out of character for her daughter. She called around all of Rebecca's friends and finally managed to get hold of Joshua eight hours later. He told Sonia he'd not seen Rebecca and even said he'd not been planning on meeting her before going online and expressing his worry for his ex-girlfriend. A friend on Facebook messaged Joshua and said, Have you seen Rebecca? I tried phoning you earlier to ask you, but you didn't answer and then your phone was off. He responded, Sorry, I didn't know it was you. No, I haven't seen her, but I've already spoken to her mother. As the search for Rebecca gathered pace, Joshua sent a message to her phone saying, Get in touch, we're all worried. The night went by. Still no sign of Rebecca. And the morning afterwards, Joshua's friend who'd been taken to the scene told his parents that he believed that Joshua had hurt Rebecca and his parents then called the police. They were directed to the woods where Rebecca's battered body was soon discovered. During the investigation and trial, Joshua denied killing Rebecca and blamed the whole crime on his friend. But the jury, of course, saw through his lies. And in 2011, Joshua Davis was sentenced to 14 years in prison for the murder of Rebecca. In today's society, we can't escape social media, can we? I'm a bit obsessed with it, frankly, and spend way too much time on it, don't you? Whether it's pictures on Instagram or keeping in contact with family on Facebook, it's part of most of our day-to-day lives. In 2010, when the story took place that we've described today, the phenomenon of social media was relatively new, and some of the sites that Joshua was using, such as Bebo and MSN Messenger, are either non-existent or certainly not popular today. Joshua frequently used a variety of social networking sites, and this case shows how he used the internet to plot the murder of his former girlfriend. By using these sites, Joshua felt able to express his deepest and darkest fantasies. Maybe it would be more difficult to do so face to face. Whilst his friends may have thought he was joking, he was, as we found out, deadly serious. The study of the effect social media has on our brains has been studied for years, but the impact that social media can play in murders is relatively new. As we've heard many times on this podcast, including on the very first episode way back in 2016, social media has been the focus of several high-profile murders in the United Kingdom. One case that immediately springs to mind is in 2018, when Henry Uzoka was stabbed to death by a fellow model, George Coe, after an argument on Instagram played out in real life. It was reported that Henry had called George fake on Instagram, after George claimed he'd slept with Henry's girlfriend. It was later suggested that George had become obsessed with Henry, who was more successful. There are loads more examples I'm sure you can think of. And is it really so surprising that these online conversations progress into real life when social media is such a major part of life for so many of us? Ever since that day in 2010, Joshua consistently denied murdering Rebecca and blamed on his friend. But then eight years later, when he was 23, he confessed. Rebecca's mum, Sonia, explained what happened. He woke up, asked to see someone, I'm guessing a probation officer, and just said, I did it. 
He told them before he told anyone else, even his family. And understandably, this confession caused a lot of emotions for Rebecca's family and friends. Her mum said, When he admitted it, I thought he must have a reason for doing it as he denied it all the way through. I thought he must have a hidden agenda. He's only doing it for his own benefit, not that he has any empathy for the family. It's cruel. My family felt the same. In a way, I would rather he didn't admit to it so he could stay in prison. But at the same time, I need answers about why he did it. I don't think I will ever know. One of the family's biggest fears is that this confession could pave the way for Joshua to be released. As he was under 18 at the time of the murder, he is subjected to a tariff review, which will look at his sentence and see whether it should be reduced in court. Sonia is very worried about this possibility, saying, If he is released, he will do something else. I honestly believe it. He's evil. I've spoken to police officers and criminologists, and they all say the same thing, that he's got the makings of a serial killer. Joshua is now 29 years old and is eligible for parole next year. Surely he won't be released. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Rebecca Elwood was a teenager of a whole life ahead of her, and just like many other teenagers, she fell in love. To her and her friends and family, Joshua seemed like the ideal boyfriend. He was from a good background and he excelled at school. But he had that side to him that was hidden at first, wasn't it? This case also, I think, highlights the severity of domestic abuse, especially among young people who, according to statistics, have the least support. I tend not to think of this for teenagers, but all the research around the case says that this is what happens. There are so many stories of abuse and coercive control among teenagers out there. Although, as we said, the use of social media to communicate with others was still in its infancy in 2010, Joshua used the social networking sites to express his fantasies to anyone who would listen. Was he just testing for a reaction, do you think? Almost to see if what he was saying was okay. If so, the responses he received seemed to give him the go-ahead. So what would have happened if his friends didn't react with laughter, but had just told him to shut up immediately? As we've heard, Joshua's up for parole next year. And whilst with the nature of the crime, it's unlikely he'll be released, you'd imagine, you do wonder if 14 years was a long enough sentence for someone who killed a person they said they loved in such a cold and callous manner. And was it really just for a free breakfast? Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to Facebook and join over 91,000 of us who talk UK true crime 24-7 or longer. And, and, and to support the show, please do head to patreon.com slash UK true crime for bonus episodes and loads of other exclusive content. As I said at the start of the episode, over the next four weeks, I'm running a competition where every week I'll give away at least six true crime books. So that's what, 24, 30 books, something like that. Come and join us. And a huge thank you to the latest members of this community. That's Mrs. M, 
Vishnu, Sarah Campbell and Linda Smith. Your support is much appreciated. Thank you. So please do join our community at patreon.com slash UK True Crime and help me continue to release free weekly content. Okay, so that's all for me, the host of the UK's 37th most popular true crime podcast and the only podcaster with a wet towel permanently in his rucksack. So until we speak again next week, please do take it easy and remember, despite all the others, stay classy. Cheerio for now. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.